All right, community of faith, are we doing good this morning? Yeah? What an exciting day, right? So fun to see all these globes, to hear from Claude and Kelly, who are on our staff, and, and you know, you're just, you're really changing a whole country. You really are, and that's so amazing. And as we walk with them in friendship and their economic development, they keep asking us, why do you do this? And we get to tell them about our Jesus. And so many of them, literally hundreds and hundreds and thousands of them are coming to Christ just in droves. And so I'm so proud of you, community of faith, for what you're doing. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes. I entitled this message, How to Excuse Yourself from a Miracle. That's what I want you not to do, okay? But I was looking at a couple of examples in the Old Testament. One is found in the book of Isaiah. There is a king who's not a good king. He's an evil king. His name is Ahaz. And the kingdom of Israel has split in two. There's Israel and Judah now, two different countries. And the king of Israel is coming against King Ahaz, the king of Judah. And he's gathered some of the most powerful forces, other countries, to come against uh, this, this little kingdom of Judah. They want to take it over again. And God speaks to Isaiah the prophet, and he comes to Ahaz the king, who's all worried. And God says, I'm going to take care of this. I've got you. I'm here. I'm with you. And then Isaiah says, God told me to ask you to ask for a miracle. Ask for a sign that's going to prove that he's going to do this for you. And King Ahaz, he, he says, uh, I, I don't know. No, I, I don't want to test the Lord, my God. It's interesting. Let me just read you these words. Isaiah seven eleven. ask a sign for yourself from the Lord, your God, one that will convince you that God has spoken and will keep his word. Make your request as deep as the grave or as high as heaven. Wow. So he can ask for anything. And then he goes, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't dare to do that. And God speaks to Isaiah and he says this, it's bad enough that you make people tired with your pious, timid hypocrisies, but now you're making God tired. God said, ask for a miracle. And he said, oh, no, no, I wouldn't want to test God like that. And you know what God says? You know what? You're timid. You're a hypocrite. I ask you to ask for a miracle. Well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And listen to what the sign is. Isaiah 7, 14. I think you can see it up there on the screen. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, God has been thinking about this for a long time. It wasn't for many, many hundreds of years that until Jesus came, but this is a prophecy of Jesus. God says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. I'm going to give you a sign. Now, it won't be in your lifetime, but I'm telling you, this is a sign for all of mankind, the greatest sign ever to be given. A sign of what? Of how much he loves us. His son, for God so loved, he gave his son. And God always keeps his word, always. You see, 
God gave earth to mankind to rule. In the book of Genesis, he said, this is your planet. You have all dominion over it. He told our very first forefathers, well, they fell into sin. And that sin just continued down through all of our line, down through all of the ages. And a lot of people ask me all the time, you know, why, is, why does a good God allow sin and evil in the world? Well, he's keeping his word to us. He said, you're in charge, not me. I give you this planet. And he doesn't go back on his word. He doesn't take the world back. He doesn't make the evil and suffering disappear because this is our planet. But what does he do? He still loves us so much and he finds another way. He absorbs evil and suffering into himself. Mankind still rules the earth, but God has set up another kingdom, a kingdom not of this world, as Jesus absorbed all of that into himself on the cross. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, wrote John in the prologue to his gospel. In the face of suffering, words do not suffice. We need something more. We need word made flesh, actual living proof that God has not abandoned us As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, only a suffering God can help. And it's just so interesting to me as God has kept his word to us. Now there's another kingdom and he's saying, I want you to show glimpses of that kingdom on this planet, this old prodigal planet. But one day he's gonna do away with this and create a new heaven and a new earth. And he said, I will rule there. In fact, he said, I will make all things new. I think he's going to go back and rewrite some of the old stories of our lives. He's going to fix and rewrite the abuse and the things that have happened to us. And nobody's going to be able to say God isn't good in that day when he makes all things new. But here's the thing. When God seems absent in this world, sometimes it's up to us to show his presence. Often, the world only sees the proof of Emmanuel. And you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Some of you are going like, well, she didn't call his name Emmanuel. She called his name Jesus. What Emmanuel means is God with us. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. It's going to be God with us. The world only sees the truth of Emmanuel, God, with us because of his followers. Just ask the Batwa. I remember meeting them. I've told you about that. I met first time with about a, a, a village of about 3,000 of them. They hadn't eaten in two weeks, any of them. And I met with the, the chief, and he said, we are the forgotten people. God has forgotten us. And I told him, God hasn't forgotten you. In the book of Isaiah, it says he's written your names on the palms of his hands. And there's a little church in Cyprus, because this was a long time ago, and we were a little church for sure, that's not going to forget you either. And it just comes back to me over and over as I see the first little girl who's now grown to be a teenager 
that was born on that land, and they named her Irebuka, which means God remembers. I love that. But how do they know God remembers? Because of you, community of faith. Because of you. Just ask the little trafficked child in India. They're on the border of Nepal where 200 of those little children pulled out of sex trafficking. I mean, they're singing praises to God this morning. I, I get, they send me the videos all the time and they're singing to God and loving him and they're growing up safe and secure in our boarding school. That's because of you, community of faith. Ask the ex-prostitute off Bissonette whose life has been totally changed, now working in a beautiful office downtown as a secretary. And it's because of you, community of faith, that her life is different. Ask the orphan abandoned on the street in San Jose, Costa Rica. You built an orphanage there before we ever built our first building because we were making a statement. This is not about us. Now they've grown up. Now they have families of their own, and it's because of you, community of faith. Ask Bob or Crystal or Larry, who passed away these last weeks. They're in heaven right now with my mama and daddy, having a blast, worshiping their first Sunday in heaven. I don't know what that's like, you know, but they're going to be in heaven forever because they came into relationship with God because of you, community of faith. Larry passed away this past week, and I'll never forget that guy because he was there on our very first Sunday when we met in Goodson Middle School, and his wife had talked him into coming because we were talking about marriage, and he had a, had a group of golfing buddies, and they went golfing every Sunday, but she said, um, well, you can go golfing this Sunday, or you can be married, you know, so he decided to come to community of faith, and I remember him sitting right out there, and you know what? Larry sat, and he kind of had his arms folded for a while, okay? But God was, like, getting through to him. In fact, even after the first Sunday, he went back to all his golfing buddies and said, you guys need to come. This is something different. I don't know. We've never experienced this before. Something's going on. Did you know that Larry led, like, eight of his friends to Christ, and he wasn't even a believer yet? It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I kept saying, when are you going to get baptized? When are you going to become a believer? And finally, he did. And I'll never forget the time when he came up out of the water and he just went, yes. And everybody else did too. Because of you, community of faith. Well, I want us to look at one other real quick Old Testament story. It's the story of Moses in front of the burning bush who tried to talk himself out of a miracle. Just listen to this passage. One day... Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. You didn't know Jethro was a name in the Bible, did you? Thought it was just on the Beverly Hillbillies. Jethro, the priest of Midian. He, He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. 
Now, if you've seen the Ten Commandments, I don't think God talks like that, okay? You know, that old movie, it was like, you know, if God talks like that, when I get to heaven, he goes, it's going to be weird, you know? But he said, Moses, Moses said, here I am. You're not coming any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. For I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering, so I have come down. There it is again, Emmanuel. The Lord come down. I have come down. And he tells Moses, go free my people, verse 11. But Moses protested to God, who am I? Who am I? It's like probably crack. Who am I? You know, I mean, it's like, it, it, it just, he sounded like a, a boy in puberty, you know? And, and that's a great question. It's a great question. You know, 40 years before, Moses had thought he was something because he was a prince of Egypt. He'd been adopted by the princess of the great Pharaoh. And he was royalty. And he knew somehow deep in his heart that God wanted him to free his people because he was a little Hebrew boy taken from the waters of the Nile by his princess mother in a miraculous way. And he grew up in Pharaoh's household and he thought, I am supposed to free. So he went out to free his people and he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating an Egyptian almost to death. And so he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand but word got out and the Pharaoh heard about it and Moses had to run for his life and he runs away and he's just spent the last 40 years on the backside of the desert. And there's something about the backside of the desert that'll kind of take the oomph out of you, you know? So he didn't have any confidence anymore. He's, he's given up that dream a long time ago. And so here we see him way past middle age now, very clearly sees his limits, very little confidence. Verse 13, Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, well, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the I am, Yahweh, the I am, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. I am that I am. God is self-defining. You know, I, a lot of times in America, when I'm talking to people, I'll, I'll, we'll be talking about God. And they said, well, I think God is whatever, you know? And I'm always telling what is it? Who cares what you think God is? Who, what matters that you think God is like this or like that? God is self-defining. He tells us himself. 
who he is. I am who I am. I am not shaped by others. Because he is who he is, his promises are always true. He's always consistent. Because he is who he is, his ways are always right. Because he is who he is, his character is always trustworthy, no matter what the circumstances look like. Verse four, Moses, chapter four, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? The Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? Uh, Shepherd's staff, Moses replied, throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back, which was a really wise thing to do, I think. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Moses says, I'm not, I'm not sufficient. I, I'm not able. I, 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 I'm not able to do this. What's that in your hand? Well, it's just an old shepherd's staff. I mean, it's how I keep the sheep in line. It's, it, it, it's not enough. Oh, it is enough. Because it's not about you. It's about me. Moses, you know, he's done a lot of talking here. But where do you see God's power? You see God's power when Moses obeys God's word. Throw your staff on the ground. And he throws it on the ground. And it turns into a snake. When it says he jumped back, what it literally is in the Hebrew is he turned around and took off running. Okay? He didn't just jump back a little bit. He went, wow, snake. Now, what's interesting about that is the Pharaoh's crown that he put on, he was a living God, he said. And they worshiped him as a living God. And it had a cobra on the top of it, a snake. And God was saying something even with this snake. But then he says to Moses, pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. Now, you can just imagine, Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years, and he's going like, God, this kind of snake is really poisonous, you know? And if I was going to pick it up, I would want to pick it up right behind the head, you know? You don't pick it up by the tail because, you know, then there's a lot of snake there that can, you know. Uh, so here's Moses. He's got this going on in his head. I remember when we went to Africa on safari one time, and the guide was talking to us, and she said, when you get out of bed from your tent, you need to always look at the ground, you know, because we have uh, green mambas here, and the green mamba is quite poisonous. And I said, well, what happens if you get bit by the green mamba? And she said, well, it's what we do. If you get bit by the green mamba, we, we go and we hook you up by the ears to the car battery. I, was, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what she's telling me, Okay. And she said, when we, when we run the electricity through you, it helps to neutralize the, the poison, and, and it gives you enough time that we can get you to the hospital. I was like, okay. And, and, and then she said, but there's also, we have the puff adder. The puff adder is this kind of ugly-looking snake. It looks kind of like a log, and it's not very big. If you get bit by the puff adder, then you begin to pray because you have 58 minutes until you see God and there's no cure. And I was like, oh, every time I got out of bed, 
You think I look down? Oh, yes, I look down. But if she would have told me, now what I want you to do is I want you to pick up the puff adder by the tail, okay? And swing it around a little. No. So here's God telling Moses, pick it up by the tail. It's interesting. The Bible just says he did it, but I don't think it happened quite that fast, you know? So he's going, reaching down, and he picks it up by the tail, and it turns back into a staff, obedience rooted in the word of God. And that shepherd's staff, that old gnarly shepherd's staff became the rod of God. With that shepherd's staff, he held it up over the Red Sea, and the waters parted in a huge miracle. With that shepherd's staff, he struck the rock and water flowed out to feed the thirsty millions that he had with him. Who am I? Who am I? It's interesting, God never answers that. He never speaks to Moses' low self-esteem. Why? Because it's not relevant. It's not about Moses. It's about the great I am who I am. Moses, I am is with you. Moses asked, who am I? God answers, but I will be with you. Moses says, I'm not in control, but I'm with him. I'm just average. It's okay, because I'm with him. You don't have to be a superhero. Life is hard. I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. It's beyond my comprehension. It doesn't feel right. But I'm with him. I won't be a victim. Is your life rooted in obedience? Rooted in God's word? I'm not asking if you're perfect, but do you? I'm not asking if you don't struggle, but do you at least, you know, like struggle forward, you know? in baby steps. What pleases God is obedience rooted in his word, his promises, not perfect obedience. We can't do that. We're not going to be perfect, but to stumble forward. Can I just tell you, if you're not even trying to stumble forward, don't call yourself a Christian because that's what a Christian is. When he comes to live in us, we have that desire to keep trying to move into him. And we fall on our face a lot, just like a newborn baby learning how to walk. But you have the desire. You have the want to. I think it's just interesting because Moses says, Lord, you know, you are the almighty. You are all-knowing. You can do it all. Send someone else because my brokenness is greater, you know, than your power. Is that what you're saying to God? Not me. Someone else, because, you know, I'm pretty broken. One of the sad ironies of many of the Christians that I know, they really want the power of God in their lives and really don't want to be obedient to get it. I really want my friends at school to know this Jesus that I know and the difference that he makes. You have to share that with them. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't have the words. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to say. I, I, I'd just be embarrassed. I, I, you have to be obedient. I'd really love to be a channel for God just to flow through and and just even financially just to be able to make a difference in this world. Well, you have to start giving. What's that in your hand? Not very much. Put down. 
and watch me move. I remember I was on the mission field in Mexico City. We were there for close to a decade in Mexico and Costa Rica. And when they asked me to come back at, uh, and speak at Second Baptist, another little church in the area, and um, at the main campus. And I remember speaking there and talking about all that God had done. And there was a big line of young people at the end that, that just wanted to talk to me about mission and, and all that. It was really exciting. But I remember one young man came up to me and he goes, Mark, I, I, I just feel like God wants me to be a missionary, but I can't. And I said, why not? He goes, I suffer from severe depression. And I said, dude, me too. I said, the great thing is you can get Prozac without prescription in Mexico. It's amazing. Don't let that stop you, you know? And he's just looking at me like, huh, what? No, seriously, and lots of other drugs, you know? Why do you, why do you think missionaries are so happy, you know? It's like, I live in the middle of the desert, but hey, this is great, I love it, you know? No, here's the thing. Don't let your dysfunction stop what God wants to do with you. Don't do that. Don't do that. If God didn't use dysfunctional people, he wouldn't have anybody to use, you know? I'm reading this book right now called The Myth of Normal. None of us are normal. None of us. We don't fit the norm. At least the new normal, maybe, but it's not normal. 80% of high school kids are depressed, the book says, based on statistics. Why? What's to live for? There's no truth. Nothing matters. We came in here as an accident, and we're going to live a few years, and we're going to die, and there's nothing. What's the point? But God says, no, that's not what my word says. That's not what I say. I grab it by the tail. I might get bitten on the hand, yeah? You might have to hook me up to a car battery. Maybe, or maybe your trust in the words of the great I am will lead you to the front row to see a miracle happen. That's what I've experienced. That's what many of you have experienced. That's what the Christian life is. You know, there's a sad parody of the Christian life in America. I go to church and I try to be good and I try to help my fellow man and I just, uh, God says, it's not about you. It's about me. Step into what I did on the cross for you as I absorb the evil, as I absorb the suffering. There'll be a new kingdom one day. It's not going to be now. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said that. But there's going to be a new kingdom when I make all things New, but until that time, you, I live in you. I am with you. I am in you. Receive that free gift that I'm giving you and then give it out to the world as rivers of living water flow through you to the dry and desolate Burundi. People are making $100 a year per capita as the Batwa people were. And watch what I want to do. You're not going to believe what I want to do. 
I'll just close with this and we're going to have our offering. Greatest example that's close to me is my beautiful, amazing little wife, Laura. Laura, when we got married, did you know that Laura was so shy that she wouldn't play charades in front of her friends? She didn't want anybody to see her. She said, you know, that's just not why I'm a behind the scenes person. I'm a person that, you know, that's what I, but there came a, a moment in our marriage early. And she said, I think, she said it so hesitantly, I think God wants me to teach. Now, if she would have told that to any of our friends, they would have gone, probably not, you know, probably not. But so many of you have heard her teach. She stepped up and it wasn't about her. It was about the great I am who lives within her. And as she speaks, I know Bob, one of the guys that passed away recently, he said, you know, when you speak, it's good. But when she speaks, it's like God speaks. Like, thanks, buddy. Um, but it's so true. And you just feel it. And rivers of living water are flowing out. And, and people, when she speaks, they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. She went to Africa recently. I was supposed to go, but I got COVID because God had a different plan. I wasn't excited about his plan at all. As I sat here by myself for two weeks, recovering from COVID, but she went to Africa and so, you know what? When she hit the ground, she didn't expect it, but they just said, oh, Mark was supposed to preach all over the place and he's not here, so now you're preaching. But you know what she did? Instead of just panicking or going, she said, all right. And God moved people. I mean, they just kept writing me from Africa. People were writing, can't believe what's happening. The group that went with her, I can't believe how God's speaking through her. This is insane. You want to live like that? You want to live like that? I don't know what he has for you. Some of you, you're struggling economically. And I'm not, say, I'm not a health and wealth gospel kind of guy, but I'm just telling you, there's some of you that God wants to bless beyond your wildest imaginations, not so that you can have a yacht, so you can be a channel for his kingdom, but you got to open the way. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. I want you to pray with me right now. Just close your eyes just for a minute. We're going to give our offering in just a minute. And this is a chance to be obedient. If you haven't ever filled it out or anything, just you can go ahead and Look at that. If you want to take it home, no pressure. Because I only want you to give what God is asking you to give, not what I'm asking you to give. Laura and I are, are given probably 20 times more than we've ever given this time because God just put something on our heart and he showed us one of our, our savings accounts that he said, that's mine and I told him, well, it always was yours, even though I thought retirement might have something to do with that, you know? 
no, that's mine. Okay. And Laura and I have gotten more excited than we've ever been in these last few days about community of faith since then because we're going to see a miracle. I want you to be a part. I just don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to make an excuse. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.